In the fast-paced world of attacking, speed is everything. And that's where the Furon 7 Plus shines. Engineered for accuracy and precision at a rapid pace, it's your secret weapon on the pitch. Experience overall comfort and precise striking, even in the game's fastest moments. The nylon outsole, with its V-shaped stud configuration, is designed for firm ground, giving you the grip you need to outmaneuver your opponents. Step up your attacking game and learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and if I sound a little odd, it's because I'm not in my booth. I'm in my bed. I am bedridden. I have had what I think may be the worst week ever. And uh, I can't tell that story now, but I can assure you, I will soon. Up top, we had Wormburner with John Sonderricker, and you know what? We're going to go with that every time now. We're just going to open with that one every time. How's that sound? We've had a lot of wonderful little risk ditties up at the top of the show. I'm sure we'll keep revisiting many of them many a time, but I started to get a hankering to hear the same thing at the top of the show, so we're going to give that a shot. This is Yacht behind me now. And our focus today is on family stories from recent live shows that hit on the subject of family. And it's such a family time of year, time of year that we're distinctly reminded just how fascinating or frightening (laughs) members of our families can be. We're going to start with a young lady who she took my sketch comedy class many, many a year ago. And she has risen so high since then. It's so inspiring to watch a person create a career. And Sarah is doing a beautiful job of it. She has the book Agora Fabulous. 
coming out soon, and she has the podcast Sex and Other Human Activities. This is Sarah Benincasa. Here she is at the Risk Live show in New York with a story we call The Grand Canyon. If you ever happen to find yourself discussing pussy beside a corpse, (laughs) you'll find the experience is less sexy than spooky, and you might also find it a little gross. We were at a funeral home. The pussy in question did not belong to my aunt, but the corpse did. Um, in as much as she was still capable of owning anything in her post-alive state. She was dead. She was my great-aunt, so my dead grandfather's now-dead sister. One of, uh, of several, one of nine, actually. The funeral home that we were at, by we, of course, I mean my huge extended Catholic family, big uh, Italian slash Sicilian, different things family, was at the, the Bon Jovi funeral home in Raritan, New Jersey, which is a real place, and yes, his family owns it. His real name is spelled all one word, B-O-N-G-I-O-V-I. He changed it, I guess de-ethnicized it so that it would go over better with 80s mall hair chicks. But the Bon Jovi Funeral Home is a real place. It's right off Route 202 by the Somerville Circle, and it's a good time. The Bon Jovi Funeral Home is where everyone on my mother's side of the family goes for a wake or a funeral. On the inside, uh, it it looks a lot different than it does on the outside. The exterior looks like sort of a a 1950s clapboard, looking pretty humble uh, two-story home. The interior is pink, different shades of pink. There's a carpet that's dark pink with some pale pink roses. The wallpaper is pale pink with fuchsia roses. There are gilt sconces on the wall upon which are mounted flickering faux candles. And then there is John Bon Jovi's cousin, Angie Bon Jovi, (laughs) who is the funeral directress and uh, has big titties and puts them on display along with the corpse. Uh, She has very long French manicured nails to indicate that she is sophisticated. (laughs) And above her huge titties is always a cross to show that she is uh, one with God. And so there's a lot of big hair. I'm not saying she looks like Snooky, but I'm saying she looks like Snooky. <laughs> so that's who takes care of the dead in our family. And I was there at Bon Jovi Funeral Home for the funeral of my aunt, who was a real, my great aunt, who was a very cool lady. 
and a lot of folks were there. And one of the folks who was there was my great uncle-in-law, Tom. I call him my great uncle-in-law because he was the roommate of my great uncle, Tommy. In retrospect, I don't know if they were gay or just narcissistic because they were both named Thomas. <laughs> Tommy and Tom met in the branch of the military that's reserved for faggotry, which is the Navy. <laughs> and they were together for 35 years. And they worked together for 30 years at the same factory. And Tom was a really cool guy. My great uncle-in-law, Tom, was really awesome. And uh, we never called him husband or partner, really, of my great uncle Tommy because they weren't that type of gay. They weren't the, your modern type of gay, the young ones who they walk around and they got the clothes on and they look good and they think that they should have a, a, a right to say what they want to say. They're not the type of gay that marched in any kind of parade. They would have been the type of gay that very quietly and politely said, yes, officer, um, I'm sorry for disturbing the peace and like left Stonewall very politely that evening <laughs> while the queens threw things. They were uh, quiet, they were religious, they were Catholic, and they loved each other very much, uh, but they kept a fake bedroom, and they never, I've never heard them uh, utter the word gay, even. So it was just sort of like they were friends. And so it was Tom and Tommy who were friends, and, and like friends do, they, uh, you know, they went to Hollywood to do the tours of the Star's house, and they went antiquing in Connecticut, like you do with a, your bro. And, <laughs> and they also worked together somewhere, and uh, the place where they worked was a birth control factory. Some families are, are, are in the, the, the coblin business, you know, they make shoes. Some are coopers, they make barrels. But uh, my family's sort of medieval guild type trade was birth control. My dad uh, ran the factory and my great uncle Tommy and my great uncle Tom worked at the factory and uh, well, uh, they made other things besides birth control. You had your oral contraceptives, you had your, uh, your, your antifungal vaginal cream, um, and you had your diaphragms. And uh, so my, my great uncle Tommy was in yeast infections and my great uncle Tom was in diaphragms. Now, diaphragms aren't in fashion anymore. They are a barrier method of contraception used mainly by ladies who've had lots of babies and who believe that taking a pill to prevent the sperm from getting to the egg is an abortion. So they're um, enjoyed by crazy people and people who don't tolerate hormones well. A diaphragm looks kind of like, like this. It's different sizes. And it's um, a, a flexible, kind of like a, a nuva ring wearing a cape. Um, it's a flexible outer ring and then you've got some rubber in between and it, and it fits there over the cervix and everyone's happy. So uh, Uncle Tom, my great Uncle Tom, said to me as we're just making chit-chat and small talk, he says, so sir, how's comedy going? Because even though he is a homo, um, he's still a guido. So... <laughs> 
I say comedy's going well and all this, and he goes, hey, I got jokes for you. I got jokes. And I'm like, please tell me the jokes. My great aunt is dead, not five feet away. I believe someone is going to try and climb into the box, which is a Sicilian tradition. I believe the black people also do this. Uh, I don't know what it is about that area of the world, but there's something about it that says, why not try to climb into the coffin? That'll make the person come alive again. I'm not saying that black people and Sicilians are necromancers. I'm just saying we're necromancers. So, um, Uncle Tom goes, you know, we used to have jokes down at the factory. We used to call the diaphragms. We had, we had names for them. And I said, uh, continue, please. <laughs> he said, well, the real little ones, you know, they were like the size of a quarter. So we called those the prom night. Oh! <laughs> yes, go on. Oh, then we had the next size up, you know, which was like, uh, that was like a little bigger. That was like, uh, you know, for like, we called that the honeymooner. Get it? It's like the honeymooner because it's a little bit bigger. Yes, I get it. This is awesome. Never stop telling this story. <laughs> what was the next size called? Well, the next size was like the regular size. What was it called? We called it like normal or like the regular. <laughs> or the regulars or normals, depending on the day. And, uh, okay, well, all right, so that's three sizes. Uh, that's pretty crazy. No, no, there's four sizes. The biggest size was, like, huge, and we special made it, and we only gave it out, like, three times a year we get a special order for this. I mean, it was huge. It was huge, and we called it the Grand Canyon. Ah! And he's Italian, so he's actually making these noises. This isn't just for effect. This is real. And there's a dead lady right there, right there. And then he tells me more. He says, the big ones are crazy, right? Like, so the big ones, we used to take them out. And uh, we'd, we'd bring, like, the samples, you know, at the, the company picnics and stuff. Your father used to do this, too. It was funny. He won't tell you, but it was funny. Uh, we used to flip it around like a Frisbee. We'd flip it around like a Frisbee. And when we get a few beers on us, we'd flip it around like a Frisbee. And we worked with this one Jewish guy. He used to put it on his head, and he called it one of their, like, what are they called? Yarmulkes. It was like a yarmulke, like a freaking yarmulke. And he'd wear it on his head. Oh, it was crazy. We had some times. We had some times. She looks good. <laughs> a priest appeared at that moment. He was an Irish priest, and he said, I would like it if everyone could sit down, because we'd all like to take a moment to honor our dear departed sister, Immaculata, which was her name. <laughs> and I sat down next to Uncle Tom, and I said, Uncle Tom, did you, what happened, the samples, did you end up selling those? And he said, no, of course not. That would be against FDA regulations. We would never do that. And I said, good. Uh, a few years later, Uncle Tom got really sick. He had liver cancer. And that's an interesting cancer to have because you turn colors, you turn yellow. It's a kind of like a hep C sort of situation. And um, so you turn a sort of weird ochre color, if you will, a yellow ochre. 
I went to go see him because, of course, the whole family went to go see Tommy's roommate in the hospital. Tommy's roommate who had been to all of our birthday parties. Tommy's roommate who had been to all of our christenings. Tommy's roommate who had been to all of our Christmases. Tommy's roommate who used to decorate Tommy and Tom's house when they uh, had their big Christmas party with the Dickens Village with the little guys skating on the little mechanical ice rink and the big Christmas tree and the platters full of all kinds of cheese and the walls covered covered in framed photographs of dead people who they didn't know but just were pretty. They were into pretty Victorian ladies. Anyway, <laughs> I went to, to go see him and we brought lasagna and Tupperware because that's what you do. And, uh, and he couldn't eat it. And so we sat down next to Tommy and, and Tom was sitting there and he was real sick and, and, and we, we were chatting with him real quietly and leaning close so he could hear. And he had gotten sick really quickly. He had been in the hospital for a few days, but it was looking pretty bad. And uh, I looked at him and I said, you know, Tom, like, I really hope you feel better. And he said, Sarah, I got one for you. <laughs> I said, one what? And he said, the Grand Canyon. I got one, I found I went home after the funeral. You remember the funeral? I'm like, yes, I do. I have been telling people about it for years. I went home, I found a sample I had. They gave me one I retired as a joke present and I have it and it's in my desk and I want you to have it. That's for, that's for you, that's yours. Don't let nobody else take it. And I said, thank you, Tom. And that was the last time I saw him alive. Thank you very much. Good night, Mama. Good night, Dan. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Dad. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Mama. Good night, Dan. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Dad. Good night, Elizabeth. This is Risk, a collage by Jeff Barr there, and this is Lee Rosevear behind me now. And for our last story of the show today, the great actress Lily Taylor returns to the show. A remarkable woman with a remarkable legacy of work behind her. We call this story, It's Not Then, It's Now. So my dad was um, a really bad manic depressive. Um, he was a great guy. He loved people. He loved jokes. Um, in many ways, he was the ton eccentric, but he also suffered from 
manic depression, which is a hell of a disease. You, there's people that go on the, the depressive side of it or on the mania side of it. Dad, he, my dad went on the, the mania side. The manic flights, they'd last weeks. They were high, he spent money, he, he bought cars, he bought houses, he bought his grand pianos for people we didn't know. Um, he had lots of projects. Uh, he had invented, um, <clears throat> he got a patent for a fifth leg to the walker. He was convinced that many people fell on the walker, it tipped over, and he was convinced he could prevent many hip accidents with this fifth, fifth leg, got a patent. So he was busy. Um, so, you know, he'd been in and out of hospitals all my life. And um, the story that comes to mind, I was in high school, so now we're, we're 15 years into this cycle of hospitalizations, and the family's getting worn out. I think my dad is too, but we, it's taking a toll. Because the manic flights, it's, it's almost, they're almost contagious. You almost start to feel crazy. So he was on a manic flight at this point, and you know, everybody was just on eggshells, tender hooks. You don't know what the hell is going to happen when you come in. The energy's so high, you're just kind of, you know, flying around with him. And so anyway, I um, was at school one day, and I had a fever. I left school early. I come home. My mom wasn't there. She was working, and the house didn't feel right. Well, my dad wasn't there, which was, he didn't work, so why isn't he here? The one car is gone. Um, he's, okay, I just saw something out the window. I just saw a man run by without any pants on. I have a feeling, I have a feeling dad's outside. I go outside, and it's him. He's across the street. He has a Fruit of the Loom underpants, a Fruit of the Loom white t-shirt, and a tweed jacket. He's, he's touching the, uh, the front step to the neighbor's house. The thing with this kind of illness is you just don't know what mood they're in. Is he going to be angry? Is he going to be, what's he going to do? I don't know. I chose the tactic of calm and sort of understated. Uh, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? Uh, I'm in a, I, 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 I'm a, it's a very, very important race. I'm, I've got to touch the first three steps of everybody's house. It's very important. Please, would you, would you just let me do this? So I, I don't know what he's talking about, race. I, it's, he's, he's gone. He's gone. And um, he's so myopic about this, fo so focused. Uh, he doesn't seem to mind me. You know, I'm following him. We're at the second house now. He's at the step. I'm kind of just following. I think, okay, I've got to call my mom. Um, I didn't really want to leave him out there, but my mom knows how to handle my dad. By this point, they'd probably been married 35, 40 years. There were six kids. He, he let my mom in. He wouldn't really let the kids in when it came down to like what was really happening, but he would let my mom in. So I call my mom. I just say, get over fast. Dad's, he's gone. So um, we're now at the sixth house, and uh, I'm watching, and finally the car pulls up, the, the Cadillac that he had just bought. Uh, Ma pulls up in the Cadillac, um, and she said, um, hey, Park, um, I got some shrimp cocktail. 
would you like to, uh, to join me for some lunch? Um, she chose the, the food calming route <laughs> as the tactic. Shrimp cocktail was his favorite thing. He loved the lunches with my mom. He said, ah, that sounds wonderful. But I am in the, I'm in the middle of this race, though. I can't, I, I, I'd love to join you. Just, I just got to touch the first three steps of everybody's house. So just please, Marie, just let me. Uh, okay, well, why don't you just, why don't you touch the, the step to this house? And then why don't you join me? Because I got to go back and we'll have a little lunch. And so he did. He touched the step, and then he got into the car. I got into the back seat, and we drove the few yards to the driveway to our house. By that time, my dad's everything had changed. It's like he got the wind knocked out of him. He had um, sort of come to in a way, and he looked down. He saw he hadn't, didn't have any pants on, and he just everything just started to go, you know. And he just said, "I I don't." I'm not, I'm not feeling so good. And Marie said, I know, I know you're not Park. And we went into the house, and I followed my dad. I think my mom picked up the phone. She's probably calling the hospital. And uh, I kept an eye on my dad. He put his pants on, and I was watching him in his bedroom. He, he combed his hair. He slapped a little bay rum on, you know, and tried to get a little dignity and came and sat on his black chair and just looked straight ahead. I sat on the couch. I just gave him some space. And, and then the paramedics, they knocked. My mom opened the door. Uh, Dad gets up. He's, you know, the paramedics were ready to, you know, put a little bit of wrestling, you know. And he said, no, I'm, I'm fine. I, I got this. Thank you. Thank you very much. So my mom and I, we watched him go out. And, you know, it's like, you know, in one way we felt very relieved. He, he's going to a place that, that can help him. Uh, his problems were way too big for us. Um, it's, it's sad, of course. You know, it, he knew where he was going. I'm sure that didn't feel very good. We went and visited him that night and didn't know what we were going to expect because, you know, jacked up with Thorazine, doesn't know who we are, what, what, what's going to happen. He came out to the waiting room and just was like, um, sat down and seemed kind of present. No straight jacket, didn't seem too messed up with drugs and sat down and, you know, just said, I, uh, I think it was pretty rotten that uh, you guys called the paramedics and had me come into this shithole. I think that's just pretty rotten. He said, okay, you know, that's all right. It's okay. Um, you know, we, we feel like you were, you know, a, a danger to yourself and others, but it's okay. I, we understand. And, um, you know, he stayed angry for a while. Um, he finally got out. The cycle repeated a few times. We finally did do an intervention, which is another story. Um, but the cycle was finally broken. He did, um, he got the alcoholism and the manic depression got addressed. And, you know, he, he died a, a sober man, which was really great. Um, and so, you know, one of the effects that this had on me, growing up in that kind of heightened circumstance, was this fight or flight mechanism, you know, which was handy back then, you know, because I could kind of act fast, I could, um, I could deal, I could deal, and I could be vigilant, and, you know, boom. Um, not as useful now. Uh, it's it's uh, not the same <laughs> circumstances, it's too hypervigilant, too, it's, um, well, it'll kill me early, basically. Being that that 
amped up is gonna it's gonna take some years off so you know it's finding ways to uh take the breath realize you know it's not then it's now and um you know i can respond a lot of different ways in situations and i don't have to i don't have to fight or flight it thanks For now, this is the genius Andrew Bird with a new song called Dark Matter. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. This is loosed around our next made of DNA. And every day is going tighter no matter what they do or say. You can shoot right through with rays of dark matter just before they kick out. They kick out the light. Rays of dark matter. Rays of dark matter.
between your sides And who will be the one who will decide It's true location 